Hi, my name is Jeff Pagano, and thanks for tuning in to the Harpen and Rugby podcast. HarpenandRugby.net is an unofficial fan site for Leinster and Ireland rugby, with write-ups of all the big matches and regular coverage of the latest news and opinion via Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and of course this pod. If you haven't already, please subscribe. We're on Apple Podcasts as well as a host of other platforms. So Leinster kicked off a new European campaign last weekend with a controlled performance on the way to maximum points in Montpellier. If you missed the Harpen match write-up, you'll find a link in the program notes. Next up in round two, we welcomed the Northampton Saints to the RDS, and I was lucky enough to find a perfect guest for the latest in our series of Opposition View Pods. As you'll hear, he has a foot in both camps this weekend, so we talked about the Premiership outfit season so far, and the kind of team we'll expect to see them put out on Saturday, among other things. So without any further ado, here's how we got on. Now it's time for our back and forward with Chad, and joining me this week to make his first appearance on the pod is Nathan Johns, a Leinster season ticket holder currently based in the UK, who for the past two seasons has been freelancing for the Northampton Saints media team. I'm not really sure I could have found a more ideal guest for a Leinster-themed podcast looking to talk about all things Northampton, so a warm welcome to the pod, Nathan. Thanks for having me. No problem at all. Well, why don't you tell us how that um, little set of circumstances came about for you? Yeah, of course. So as you said, um, I'm a season ticket holder at Leinster, um, born and raised in Dublin, and been going to Leinster games for as long as I can remember. I'm, I'm of an age where when, when I was old enough to start getting into rugby, that's, that was around the 2008-2009 period when, uh, when Leinster started coming into that major success. So, um, so I was quite lucky in that regard and it was very easy to fall into a culture of being a Leinster fan um, living in Dublin. Um, when I left school, I went to college over in the UK. Um, and then towards the end of my four-year degree there, I started thinking about a career in, um, in sports media. And as a result, I reached out to a lot of people, um, including Northampton Saints, because they're not too far from where I'm based. And uh, fortunately, they got back to me, um, offering some, some part-time work and some freelance, some freelance stuff to come in and write their match reports and to, um, and to do some post-match press conferences and reaction pieces for them. So I'm not actually employed by them. Mm. I, don't, I don't represent them in any way, shape or form. But... Yeah. Uh, I, I, I do basically, I guess, I guess the best way of describing it is like a work experience placement where um, they take me on and uh, I go to Franklin's Gardens when I can and I, and I cover the games for them. Um, and that's been going on, yeah, so that started 2019, 2020 season. Obviously, I could only do half the season for obvious reasons mm-hmm. when everything got cut off. But, um, and then, yeah, and then thankfully I managed to get back involved again um, this season. I've been to a couple of games and I will be going to the game on, um, on Saturday in the RDS as well. Very good. That's a that's a really that's a really good gig. I mean, you know, like you say, you're 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 Leinster at heart. But I mean, when you sp- obviously when you spend a lot of time, um, you know, covering the same team and you're with around the same people or around the same thing. I mean, you you would you you'd see a lot more about the club and how they operate and stuff. So um, that must be a really really good experience for you. Yeah, of course. No, it's it's been absolutely fantastic. Um, I had a bit of a taste actually of being around the Leinster press box just through connections I did I did some work experience not so much work experience but I did some shadowing of some Irish rugby journals and that kind of got me hooked so then when I went back to the UK um, and sent off those emails inquiring to basically any any premiership and championship rugby club um, to get one in a get Northampton who at the time were flying high in the premiership and to be so close to people in that high performance environment was great. Yeah, I mean, you, speaking of flying high, I mean, it's, they, they've kind of gone the other way um, since then. It's it's not a really good, um, it's not it's not the best time for them, unfortunately. Which is you know it's a shame, but then you know it's kind of a swings and roundabouts kind of thing. A lot of Premiership teams do go like that. Uh, they have good seasons and bad seasons. There's not a lot that stay in the top four. Um, 
for that long. But I mean, so last season they finished, um, it was eighth. So they basically just, just got into the, um, the, 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 the Champions Cups um, positions and um, then the start of the season. Now, I mean, the results, the, the, there was a bad defeat at home to Harlequins and stuff like that. But, um, you know, they, they came close at uh, Bristol there. Um, you know, it's, it's, you know, three defeats is no way to start any kind of a season. But that's, uh, you know, it was far, far from ideal for them. No, I mean, yeah, you, you mentioned there they finished eighth last season and mm. how they finished eighth. It, honestly, that, that was an absolute travesty. That was a, last year, that was a very, very good Northampton side. Um, come January, I think they were second in the league and they looked really like the only team that would get anywhere near Exeter. Obviously, Saracens had just gone through their, their trouble that they had, so they weren't coming anywhere close. So, you know, this time last year, there or thereabouts, Saints were the cre- up there with the cream of the crop of the Premiership and were the ones that were, you know, if someone has to go put it up to Exeter in the playoffs, it was going to be them. They were playing some absolutely fantastic rugby. Chris Boyd is... The, the style of rugby that he implements there is brilliant to watch. I mean, you know, everybody's complaining at the moment, about, you know, after the Autumn Nations Cup, about teams kicking too much, blah, blah, blah. Not enough tries being scored. Saints don't do that. They play a really, really attacking brand of rugby. They're fantastic. But I think the one thing that kind of, that was their Achilles heel, so to speak, and it's easy to forget this as a Leinster fan, and I definitely was guilty of this, was but the, as Leinster fans, we are very, very privileged and to a lesser extent, Munster, Ulster, Connacht fans as well, in terms of this, the, the depth. And it's, it's a cliche for everybody who, who talks and listens to podcasts about Leinster rugby, but you know, they've got the best depth out of any European club side by far and away. Northampton have a really, really good first 15. The depth is, is a problem. So when guys go away, you know, they've got guys like Dan Bigger, Courtney Laws, these, you know, George Furbank as well, another recent English cap. When these guys go away, they struggle. And... They, st- they started struggling in spring when they went away for the Six Nations and the lockdown happened. And then for some reason or other, once the lockdown, once the lockdown came back, they really struggled. Um, I was looking at it there and they won their second game back in August against London Irish, which is to be expected. Um, but then since then, I think they've lost 13 on the bounce, um, including the, this new campaign, like you said, those three games. So they're really, it's, it's a really tough position to see them in because, t- you know, they're... they're t- they're too good of a squad to go from where they were in January to be bottom of the table now, three rounds in, with only two losing bonus points to show. Um, so, yeah, and I guess that's why that's, Chris Boyd has realised that and that's why he made those comments the other night um, about how he's, he's going to prioritise the league coming up now rather than this trip to Dublin this weekend. Yeah, I mean, it has to be frustrating because, I mean, um, like you say, we, we, as, Leinster, as a Leinster fan, you kind of get embarrassed. Like, we just played a first European game last weekend uh, both of our props were third string, or officially third string props, and they both played blinders. And it's just, you know, you, you do get used to that, and you, you do have to appreciate that when you're, when you're looking at these, um, these uh, premiership clubs, which, I mean, that's the main difference. You're talking about clubs. They're, they're just basically organized. They're, they're, as organizations, they're completely different. Leinster is the Leinster branch of the IRFU. These are players who are really getting prepared for the test team. And then in England, they're separate clubs uh, that they've got to or- organize their own academies and all this stuff. It, it, it's, it's, it's difficult to sustain those levels of, of players. And, um, but uh, so, so maybe if, the, if this was the kind of form they're in, this was probably the worst possible for year, year for them to kind of get into the Champions Cup. They might have might have suited them better to to be in the the, the level down, but they they still they played Bordeaux um, last Friday and uh, they actually kicked off the competition. 
before the result, it wasn't the ideal game to kick off a Champions Cup. It wasn't a, well, it, it was far from a classic, as they say. But um, it's you know Northampton had the lead until right right towards the very end, and then then you had that uh, bounce of the ball. Yeah, I mean, look, when a side is is struggling with both form and confidence, and just to add a bit of context here, you mentioned the the couple of games they've had before the Champions Cup opener where they lost, and you talked about Quinns where they, they got pumped at home. I think what was more frustrating was the week after, which was the week before Bordeaux, clocking the red away to Bristol. Bristol kick a penalty to win by a point in another game that Saints should have won. So for two weeks in a row, you've got the first week, you've got a last-minute penalty with the clock in the red, and then the second week, you know, they were, they were Dan Bigger kicked a penalty and in about the 44th, 45th minute against Bordeaux. They're up. They're dominating possession and territory. I think the, ter- the territory stats, stats were something like 65% in their favour. But it just seemed like every single time they got into the 22, there was a handling error, which is so, which is so uncar- uncharacteristic of not only this Saints side, but of Chris Boyd's sides. I can remember roughly about this time last year when Saints kicked off their European campaign at home. They played Lyon. And they beat them comfortably. Now, Leon got a couple of scores late on to, um, to add some gloss to the scoring, but they beat them comfortably. And the style of running fluid rugby that they played, particularly in midfield with guys like Bigger um, and Rory Hutchinson as well, the Scottish centre, who's, um, who's an excellent footballer. And I remember Stephen Jones was in the press conference with us. He's the, the, the Sunday Times journalist um, who, you know, um, in Irish shores, is a, is a, is a, you know, he divides <laughs> opinion, put it this way. Yeah. But he is someone who is definitely an advocate of running rugby. I can remember him talking to Chris Boyd after that game, absolutely gushing about you know the style of rugby that they were playing and how fantastic they were to watch um so then to see then in the year a year later also again against french opposition at home a game you should be winning they the skill set just completely abandoned them they were very good territorially at kicking themselves into positions alex mitchell at scrum half had a really really good game kicking off the base to put bordeaux under pressure and to kick kick his forwards into, into positions from where they can win the, win the game. But as soon as they got into the 22, that skill set that they have become really well known for in the UK just completely deserted them, which is, again, it's just a sign of a team that is completely lacking confidence. So you have that, you have all these criminal handling errors that you just, it's heartbreaking to see because these guys just don't do that. It's not what they're about. And then in what, 74th, 75th minute, Bordeaux enter the Northampton 22 for the first time in the second half. Mathieu Jalibert, who's just off the back of a fantastic campaign for France in the Golden Nations Cup, hits the post with a penalty he probably should have got. And then everybody in the Saints side just stands there, looks at each other, the ball bounces up. There's Santiago Cordero, the Argentinian winner, winger. And he just, that's it, yeah. game over. And yeah. you could just tell for the rest of the game, you know, Bordeaux could have easily scored another try or two because um, Saints just completely capitulated. To be fair to them, they launched one last attack. Um, they put their young wing, Ryan Oluwafele, into space. But apart from that, you could just tell how crushing that was. And it's, it's, it's just heartbreaking to watch at the moment. Oh, totally. I mean, now, I mean, like, when I was watching, I mean, I had no skin in the game, really. So what I, what I saw, I, I, knew, I knew that the, the form, uh, the kind of form the Saints were having at the time. But when I just, just on that particular bounce, I mean, that bounce couldn't have been more of a Bordeaux bounce if it turned into a bottle of wine. Do you know what I mean? It was, I mean, now, of course you have to react, but I, it just fell perfectly for them. If it, even if they had reacted, it might've actually looked worse because they'd have been grasping at nothing. But when you add that in, when you add that in to everything else, it's just one of those, when, when things aren't going for you, they just, they're just not. They're just not. And that was the narrative after the game. I mean, I spoke to Chris Boyd after the game and, you know, I, all these things I'm saying here, I asked him about, like, is this just, you know, a classic case of, you know, 
lack of confidence. And he just said, look, there's absolutely no way he can blame anyone for that bounce of the ball. Mm. Um, yes, the guy who was supposed to be covering it, who was closest to it, was the backup scrum half, uh, Henry Taylor, and the skipper of the night, Tom Wood, kind of called him out in the, his post-match radio interview, but also said, okay, he, he probably could, he put his hand up at the end of the day. It's not his fault. You know, the, it, that was just a complete freak incident. And mm. it's just sod's law, isn't it, that that happened to... To, to, to the side in, in the form that they're currently in. And like you said, even if Taylor did go for the ball, the way it bounced up and completely skipped off and went completely the opposite direction, mm. he probably wouldn't have got anywhere near it anyway. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a shame and it must be tough for the fans. I mean, so you, you've been, so you, you were with the Saints before the lockdown as well. So you've been to full, so, so you might have, you'd have a better sense of um, what the, you know, how the fans are reacting to all of this. Like, well, what, what's the sense, what's their sense of the team right now? Well, it's a, it, it swings from one extreme to the other. I mean, you know, if you look at social media, which, you know, obviously you do do so at your own peril, you've got some people talking about, you know, Tom Wood spoke very well, the back row who was skipper for the night spoke very well after the game on Friday night, and you've got people reacting to his article saying, this is exactly what we need, this leadership, this ability just to, you know, keep going, keep going, see the light at the end of the tunnel, and this is, and we back we back our side, and then you've got that reaction, and then you've also got, guys people just spewing absolute hate i would you're always gonna get a bit of that and mm. i would venture that's very much in the minority um but yeah. of course it's always the negative comments that stand out the most and um, i wasn't at the game on friday night but um by all account because i was back in dublin mm -hmm. doing my quarantine after coming back from the uk but i watched the game on tv like yourself and i covered it for the saints and and by all speaking to colleagues there um it was just complete shock. Um, i mean it was noticeable there were only two thousand fans in because of the uk tiered system with, with COVID restrictions um, but it was noticeable how much, of an, how much of a noise they made I mean I don't want to sound cliche but it definitely made a difference um, yeah. and the players and coaches all said so um, but you could just uh, you could literally just see see whatever energy they had just sat instantly in that moment even in, in, and talking to people who I know who are at the game as well um, that was exactly how they how they saw it as well. Yeah, I mean, you know, you just look at their lineup even for that game and you've got people like Owen Franks, Tom Wood, like you said, Courtney Laws, Dan Big, a team like that. You, you, you can't see it. And Chris Boyd, you know, the, the, the quality coach. It's like you, you can't see them um, being down for that long. But I suppose that brings us in. I mean, we're looking at how they're, look, how they're shaping up um, going into this weekend against Leinster. And it's, I, I mean, it probably couldn't be a worse uh, I mean, if they're looking to win the game and looking to maybe get back uh, into the Champions Cup, some kind of, um, you know, it, the, the way it's set up this season, if you lose one match, you're really struggling. But I, I'd be surprised if a team that loses one match, um, if at least one team that loses one match fails to get into the last eight. So you, you could still actually conceivably do it. But this is the worst possible fixture for them. So you had, you had uh, Boyd saying after the game that, that he was going to play youngsters. But when you look at it, I mean, that, that sounds like a negative thing, but when you're playing Worcester the following week at home, a game that you could possibly win and, and, and break this streak, it, it'd be, it, it, it make, kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah, of course. I mean, the three-game Christmas stretch that they've got in the Premiership after this week is crucial for them. They've got Worcester at home, and I think it's London Irish at home, and then they've got mm -hmm. Leicester away, I think. I could be wrong there. But it's, it's definitely those three teams, at least. Um, those are all, on paper, those are all very, very winnable games for Saints. And they need to, like I said, the bottom of the Premiership table, they've got two points, right? I guess the conversation about, you know, what team he picks and prioritising competitions and stuff, it's probably a conversation, a longer conversation for a different day in terms of how Irish clubs view Europe compared to how 
the English clubs view Europe. Um, Benjamin Kaiser, the old French forward, was on BT on Friday night. And as soon as Boyd said those comments, he just tore into him, which I thought was interesting because French clubs often quite do the same thing. They lose a couple of games and they do exactly the same thing. Um, yeah. You know, I, I'm not trying to have a pop at Kaiser or anything there, but it was no. just interesting. Um, but his view is very much you're devaluing the competition. And, you know, Will Leinster be thinking the same thing? I doubt they'd care, to be honest. I doubt, I doubt Leo Cullen and Stuart Lancaster care. Um, my initial reaction to the news was, well, maybe there's a bit of frustration that Leinster decided to send over a second slash third string to Montpellier, only to then, you know, the Irish guys coming in next week, if they still come in now. Um, mm. Obviously, a lot, a lot is dependent there. Um, I take Boyd is very, very much, he's always very honest and upfront with the media, um, to, to his credit. Um, at least in my experience. Um, he said something similar without being necessarily as strong about it last year. So last year, we, Leinster had Northampton in the back-to-backs, but away first and then home, whereas this time it's home first and then Leinster go to Franklin's Gardens in January. Um, and Boyd picked a full-strength side for the, for the Franklin's Gardens first game. He, he, he saw this as an opportunity to have a pop and then very quickly realised, right, we're going there next week. And he said, he said, the, the way he phrased it at the time was that the squad rotation. And he didn't actually pick, look, this, this narrative about youngsters, I don't buy it completely because, you know, he did something similar last year and the side he picked was still quite experienced. Um, he had quite a lot of experienced guys up front like Tom Wood and also that, that Dan Bigger was playing and then there was more inexperience out in the backfield. Um, I think it'll probably be something similar to that. Um, it'll probably be a mix, mainly because... They have all their international guys that were playing in the autumn. They haven't played much with Saints at all this year because of the schedule. Um, they all came back last week, but they've only played one game. And like we said, they've got this crucial stretch coming up. So, you know, Dan Bigger has played a lot for Wales. So I doubt he, he's, he's not going to get, if, if he do, is in the 23 this week, he's not going to get anywhere near 80 minutes. But I'd be shocked if he doesn't give him some game time because for cohesion reasons, if anything else. Also, Courtney Laws, who is absolutely crucial to them, and obviously Irish fans know all about him, absolute big bruiser of the second row. He came back after a lengthy injury last week and instantly dominated their, ta- was head of the tackle counts for them, so he's crucial. I can't see him not getting some game time this weekend um, because he hasn't, at least bigger, had played for Wales. Courtney Laws hasn't, he's been injured. I can't see him not getting any game time considering how important this stretch is coming up um, because they need to bet him in. Um, apart from that, I guess, yeah, we, we're expecting a lot of young faces, I think. Um, the big difference I noticed between Boyd's reaction last year and this year was that when the BT reporter asked him on Friday night, I think the, the way she phrased it was, will you be going into this full bore? And before she, before she even finished the question, Chris Boyd had said, no, 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 no. Mm. Um, whereas at least, at least last year, I think there was a little bit of an element of, oh, it's a bit of rotation, but you know what we're doing. Whereas this time he was completely... That's the only reason why I think he might pick, you know, the kids, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but, but that being said, there also is this argument, like I just said, like the amount of guys who have just come back into that side who are absolutely crucial to them, who have just, just haven't played. Um, and I don't know. It depends how much he values. Guys like Dan Bigger are probably experienced enough, to be honest, if they just slot back in without playing very much. Um, but the Courtney Laws, also Sam Madavesi, the Fijian hooker, He's very important to them. He was involved with the Fiji squad that had all the COVID problems and he hasn't played in months. Um, he played for the first time last week. He's another one who I think will get some game time because, you know, these guys need some games in their legs as well as being protected, I think. Yeah, and if he does play the kids, I mean, is there anyone we might be looking out for? Is there anyone coming up the ranks? 
For sure. Um, I think the biggest name, both inside Northampton circles and outside, is Harry Malander. Um, and I think that name will be recognisable to, to Leinster and Ireland fans for two reasons. Number one, his dad, Jim Malander, used to coach Northampton and he was the coach back in 2011 when Leinster met them in that famous final in Cardiff. And secondly, he is of the same generation of that 2016 Under-20s World Cup yeah. um, where England beat Ireland in the final. So that's the James Ryan, Jacob Stockdale generation. Mm-hmm. Um, the two O'Brien brothers and Hugo Keenan were also in that squad for, um, for Leinster and Ireland. Um, so, but unlike the Ryans and Stockdales of the world, Malander hasn't quite come up and had that meteoric rise into international rugby yet um, through no fault of his own. Um, he was absolutely sensational in that tournament and he, has, he was brilliant as a young player for Saints to the point where in 2018 he was on Eddie Jones's radar. But in October 2018, he did his cruciate. He did his ACL in a Challenge Cup game um, against Clermont. Was out for 15 months. He's been back since then. Um, without he's been and he has been good. He's been very good, but without necessarily hitting those heights that he had before his injury. Um, so he's he's he played in that. He's he's traditionally a ten. Yeah. He's an out half. Ask, but, yeah, he's still a ten. But he, but he's but he's he's six foot five. So he's mm. absolutely ma- massive for a ten. And with Bigger at Northampton, he doesn't, he doesn't really get any game time at 10. So they put him at 15. They've also played him at 12. They've also played him on the wing. You know, he's deceptively fast for his size. He's got brilliant handling game, as you expect from a 10. He brings others into the game very well. And also his kicking game is excellent. Um, you know, his highlights package from that under-20 World Cup mm-hmm. with some of his chips and behind and cross kicks is, is excellent. So he's just somebody, his size, his skill, his athleticism, all these cliches, he has them all. Um, he's just someone you want to have on the pitch. So they pay him everywhere. Long term, I think his future with Saints is at 15 because he's blocked by Dan Bigger. Yeah. Um, but I'd love to see him get a go. He played 10 a couple of weeks ago when Bigger wasn't about when they went in the Quinns loss when they took off James Grayson, their other back off, backup tanks. He wasn't going well. And he actually sparked their comeback. So I'd love to see him get a go. He wasn't playing on Friday, which I thought was a bit strange. He wasn't listed as injured in the pre-match report. Mm. Um, so I don't know what's going on there. As we know, clubs can sometimes be a bit, Cars you know, not very... Chest, yeah. Exactly. So I don't know what's going on there. But if he is fit, I'd, I think if he's fit, he 100% will get a go this week because he's just he's a fantastic talent. Um, there's another guy in the back line, a guy called Fraser Dingwall. He's 21 years old. He's a centre, primarily 13. Um, I guess for Leinster fans, the best way of describing him is he's... he's the closest compa- player comparison I can think of is Gary Ringrose. He's similar, similar stature, um, similar build, fast. Um, probably doesn't necessarily have the same footwork as Gary, but um, very, very good at picking a running line, um, mm. which, is, which plays brilliantly into Saints' hands because their midfield running lines are excellent. They're one of the best um, at cutting teams open midfield. Also defensively, which is why I think of Gary. He's brilliant. The way he reads the game defensively is fantastic. And even though he's not the, big, he's not the biggest guy in the world, he make, his tackle technique means... He can put in some absolutely big shots. Um, and again, if you look up his highlights on YouTube, there are some massive shots and players much bigger than him. There was a famous one a couple of years ago on Sam Matavesi, the big bath and number 10. He absolutely smashed him back. So for a guy that size, he packs a punch. Another guy who's on Eddie Jones's radar, he was selected in both the last year's Six Nations and the Autumn Nations Cup's performance squads, albeit without being capped. So he's kind of gone to and, to and from Northampton to England setups without actually playing that much rugby recently so he should get a go this weekend he was on the bench on Friday night another guy in the backfield I mentioned before is a guy called Ryan Oluwafela he's a 22 year old winger um, he's been involved in the World Series circuit with England Sevens before fast footwork brilliant in open play um, he, again on the bench on Friday so probably next in line to get a game on Saturday against Leinster um, I say he's dangerous in open play traditionally Leinster 
defence doesn't let teams get to that point. So we'll see. And undoubtedly, depending on who plays, be it which, whichever the Byrne brothers or McGraw or Gibson Park, will undoubtedly test him out with high balls um, because he hasn't really been tested there. And then there's another young guy, JJ Tonks, back row. Haven't seen a lot of him, but they signed him from Gloucester last year. They really rate him. He'll probably get a game. And then another, the most interesting one for me, actually, um, is a guy called Emmanuel Iyogan. Okay. He's a loose head prop, and he's only just turned 20. He was 19 as of a few weeks ago. He started their quarterfinal, European quarterfinal defeat to Exeter a few months ago, post-lockdown. And, you know, to throw a 19-year-old prop against, they had, they had Harry Williams and Thomas mm. Francis as their two tight heads that day, Exeter. I mean, you would have expected a bloodbath, and it was quite the opposite, actually. You got a, quite a few, you got a couple of scrum penalties off them, and there's a brilliant clip in the highlights package from BT of him getting subbed off just after winning a penalty. And there's a beaming Eddie Jones in the stands. So he's another one who may or may not be on the England radar. He's a former back row, so he's brilliant over the ball um, at the breakdown. So they, they really, really like him. Um, he hasn't featured yet this year. Um, so I don't know how close he is to, to being thrown, thrown to the Lions, as it were, against Michael Bent and Andrew Porter. But um, look, Chris Boyd threw him in against Exeter. Yeah. And if you're, gonna throw him against, yeah, exactly. if you're going to throw him in against Exeter, I'd be, I'd be surprised if he doesn't hear. But again, we're not really sure where, he, where he's at fitness-wise. Well, that's brilliant. Well, I tell you, you, you somehow managed to make me less uh, confident about this weekend than I was uh, 30 <laughs> minutes ago. Um, but uh, no, it's it. I mean, like you said, uh, we've got this history with Northampton, um, you know, going back to that famous final back in 2011, and we've had a lot of tussles with them. And they've had tussles with Irish province as well, Munster, um, over the years, and they, 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 they have a great uh, pedigree. So it's a shame to see them where they are now. But like you say, they, 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 they do have players coming through. They've got quality players in their team. They've got a great coach. They, they've all the, the makings there to build their way back. So hopefully, even if things don't go their way, uh, this weekend, um, you know, they, they, they can they, they can find their way back to uh, to better things. But um, so, like, how, how do you how do you see this weekend going? I mean, I'm, I'm almost afraid to see what the bookies are gonna what kind of spread the bookies are gonna do. Well, I actually just had a look, and the few I think it's about 42 points is the uh, spread, which I think I think is very harsh. Um, yeah, it, I th- yeah, I suppose they, they might be basing on that on Boyd's comments. Even um, I think they, they, I think they, they are. They do cha- they do change them when they see the lineups a little bit. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, like that, that, that's the other. That's the other big unknown here is that we have absolutely no idea what's going to happen here. Um, like I said, I suspect it won't be just you know an academy team playing. I suspect there will be some experienced heads in there, um, akin to the game in the Viva Stadium last year. But the game in the Viva, and that that game, Leinster, you know, put fifty points on them. So I, I, to be honest with you, I see it. I see a very similar outcome. Um, I think Saints, everyone involved in Saints, just wants some sort of performance. Um, I think that's that's the biggest thing. Um, they're a fantastic attacking team. As they show, like even when they've lost games this year, like you met that Quinn's game they lost, they still got a four try bonus point, even though they shipped forty nine points at home. Mm. Um, I think that's going to be the big key thing here. Um, I don't think they're necessarily going to be chasing bonus points or anything because I think they know that they're they're going to lose two games here to Leinster and then they again and they have to travel to Bordeaux. So I think they, without admitting it, they would have said right, you know, we're not chasing bonus points. The competition is more or less gone. Mm. Um, but I do think, you know, and these, you know, some of these young guys we mentioned, a lot of them haven't really featured as much this year. They might not necessarily have been scarred by the, by the lack of confidence and the bad luck that's happened to them so far this year. Um, so, they'll, you know, Chris Boyd will empower them to, to, play, to play fast. Um, and I, well, not fast and loose, but he'll empower them to play the Northampton's normal game plan of attractive attacking rugby. And, you know, if these guys who have, aren't necessarily inundated with that same lack of confidence come in and something comes off, 
it wouldn't surprise me if they scored two or three tries. You know, last year, even though they lost, they, they shipped 50 points to Leinster in the Viva, they still scored three tries mm. and scored, you know, I think it was 21 or something points. So I think something like that, again, wouldn't surprise me, um, particularly late in the game if Leinster are up late. I mean, you know, I, it's not a characteristic of this Leinster team that they, that they take the foot off the gas. As we know, they've been really, really ruthless um, mm. in, in allowing teams to score on them. But, you know, this is one of the better, on paper, attacking teams that they will have played this year so far. Um, granted, you know, you could make the argument that Leinster haven't played many fantastic attacking teams yet. Mm. Um, but this is certainly one of the better sides that they'll play. And, you know, a lot of these guys will be really keen to, um, to, put, a, to put, a, put a marker down. And at the end of the day, the guys who are playing regularly for Northampton haven't been playing well. So these guys, it's in, the, you know, this is a brilliant opportunity for them to, to lay down a marker against one of Europe's best and get into that premiership side. Yes. Okay. Well, so that, that, that gives us a lot to look forward to at the weekend. And it's, it's, it's that, um, it's that pain of a kickoff time, one o'clock on a Saturday. I, I, I never liked, well, when I was going to the game, I'd give anything. I'd go at one o'clock in the morning to, to watch a game now. But um, it's, it was that, that, that infamous uh, kickoff time. But hopefully, hopefully it'd be a good match. Um, it won't be. It won't be a blowout, and both teams will be going at it. So uh, we'll we'll see how that turns out. But listen, thanks thanks for coming on, Nathan. That was a, that was a great chat. Um, you definitely yeah, know cheers yourself. for having me. You definitely know, know your stuff about both teams, and it was good to have you on. Maybe I'll have you on again for the return match um, next year, and we'll see how that goes. But uh, anyway, in the meantime, best of luck and uh, have a happy Christmas to you. That'd be great. Yeah, happy Christmas to you. Thanks very much for having me. Thanks, Matt. That's it for this week. Thanks again to Nathan for the chat. You'll be hearing from him again on Thursday evening around 8pm as he'll be joining me while I host the Leinster Rugby Roundup Show as part of the Three Bod Rugby Group. Our special guest will be another Nathan, Mr. Nathan Hines. So check out the link in the program notes for more details. Meanwhile, back here at Harpen Manor, we'll be providing the usual coverage either side of the Saints match of the weekend with the TV listings on Thursday, team announcement and preview on Friday, and of course the write-up on Monday. Please feel free to join our post-match discussion on our Facebook page right after the full-time whistle. I'll post all the best comments on the site. In the meantime, stay safe, everyone. Slime.